Welcome to the Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and today I've got Steve Nicola in the studio. Steve is the VP of Sales at New Light and has over 17 years of experience in the lighting industry. He's had to adapt his career a little bit over the last year, as sales isn't quite as accessible, shouldn't we say, as it's been. But he's still going strong. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Sam. Good to be here. Appreciate you having me out. Yeah, I appreciate you coming down. Uh, We've got this beautiful little podcast studio at Light Eye Headquarters. And as I understand it, we're just around the corner from your house. How long have you lived in Denver, Steve? I've been in Denver just as long as I've been in lighting. So 17, 17 or so years. 17 years in Denver, 17 years in lighting. You know, Denver probably had half the population it was a it was a much much different place much 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 more different place yeah. right it was the wild west it was what brought you out to denver was it your position in lighting or? no no it was lifestyle it was lifestyle yeah i uh fresh out of college i wanted to not be in cleveland anymore i know that's a hard thing for some folks to understand what's wrong with cleveland no, nothing wrong with cleveland there's okay. just uh it's a little dreary in the in the winter time i've never been to cleveland should i go yeah. I feel like anywhere on this planet, you should at least give a, a thought to. What are the two things I should do when I go to Cleveland? I mean, I'm a huge Browns fan, so you should go during football season and okay. go check out a Browns game. All right. Go tailgating at the Muni lot. It's across the street from the stadium. Big time experience. <laughs> big time it's experience. It's a big time experience. Shout out to the Muni lot. Yep. If anybody's been there, you know what Steve's talking about. Yep. And All then right. uh, go check out the Rock Hall. All right, I'll go check out the Muni lot. I'll go tailgate and I'll go to the Rock Hall. They're like a stone's throw away from each other. Like oh, really? you can knock them both out in the same day. Okay, so should I go on a Saturday? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve, you know, I've had the pleasure to get to know you for a few years, but for those who are listening who may not know Steve or who Steve is, tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got your start in lighting. Grew up in Cleveland, as I mentioned. And once I got out of college, I knew, like I said, I didn't want to be there. I came into lighting, honestly, by chance. I was, again, fresh out of school, didn't have a job lined up when I moved out here. It was kind of a hope and a prayer to make it through my savings and and be able to get something as far as a career was concerned. And I was an engineer, and I was interviewing on all these different engineer jobs, and all of a sudden I got some callbacks from this company, linear-based lighting manufacturer in Denver, and that's how I got it. That was it. The rest is history right there. But I, I got to say, I mean, it, it's been quite a journey. Lighting is never, as a kid from the Midwest, something that you think of as getting into a career. And it's been enlightening. Yeah. So it's, it was a dynamic industry, something that was technologically advancing in my early years. So the conversion from, you know, old tube lights and fluorescence and things like that into LED, it was just a technology conversion. So it was really, really exciting. When you when you had that first opportunity, by the way, Barbara Horton calls that term a accidental tourist, mm-hmm. which she is also in this industry, as many people are in yeah. the lighting industry. People come into lighting and they never leave. The joke is, once you get in, you can't get out. And I think there's a strong reason for that. Lighting gives a lot of opportunity. Lighting is a very niche but massive industry, especially when you look at it. I mean, you know, you've worked for small companies and big companies that have P&Ls over billions and billions of dollars a year. Nobody, yet nobody knows about it. In your first year or two, if you can even think back that far to, to being at Corelight, what do you think captivated you about what this industry did? I mean, it's something that affects you every day. I mean, 
again, I grew up in the Midwest. My grandfather actually worked at Ford. You just assume that somehow you're going to be in that kind of industry and you drive a car every day. You get into it, you turn it on, you step on the gas, you drive out to work. You know, it's something that's part of your life every day, but it's something that you're actively engaged in every day, right? Lighting is, as a as a person that isn't familiar with the industry or, you know, just being a part of it, you don't actively engage lighting. Lighting's there. It's part of the space that it's in. And so being able to, to partake in that and affect people's daily lives, their livelihood, their productivity, the things that they do every day as far as their work is concerned, their life is concerned, was something that was extremely interesting to me. I thought it was, you know, again, something that you don't necessarily think about. It's there and until you start getting into the the nitty gritty of it, right? The details of it, how it's being distributed into the space. Are there more effective ways of being able to do that? There's just so much technical aspects of what that is. And it was just something that was, again, it wasn't there. It wasn't at the forefront of my mind. And then all of a sudden it was. And the way that you're able to, I don't know, wrap your head around it was just something that was very interesting to me. I think what's so interesting about this conversation is you're pointing out the obvious, but it's not obvious, right? right? To so many people, I mean, I've never even thought about that analogy you just gave me. I've driven a car for what, 15, 18 years at this point. Mm -hmm. I've never ever thought about what it means to be in the auto industry. So now I'm gonna have to go think about all that and maybe like, Maybe I'm going to pivot and go into the auto industry tomorrow. No, I'm just kidding. I'm never leaving lighting. I love lighting. There's lights on cars. There's lights on cars. Perfect. I can go to the auto industry. What's fascinating is light brings people in from so many places, and it gives them an opportunity to dive in headfirst. You mentioned you started as an engineer, but you're in a sales role today. Walk me through that journey of moving from engineering to sales and what gave you those opportunities and what made it exciting for you. I always thought I wanted to build things growing up as a kid and even as a, as a young adult. And you get into it and the expressive creativity that, that goes along with that is, is still something that I latch on to today. The way that we sell light fixtures is through you know detail, things that matter, you know, distribution, we talk about efficacy, we talk about all these different technical aspects of what makes a good light fixture a good light fixture. So the way that we sell is is by being able to express that. And that's something that I felt I've always been kind of good at. I think people think of salespeople just having the gift of the gab. I look at sales as, you know, you got two ears, one mouth. Those should be used proportionally when you're actually trying to sell something. So it's more about trying to create a solution around something. I like that aspect of, of things too. So you still get the engineering side of things, the creative building side of your brain, while at the same time still having kind of this interaction and, and problem solving aspect of your brain. And both of those two things together is something that, I don't know, I don't think a, a lot of people really do well. It's something that, like I said, I think I've, I've been able to hone in on and, and it's fun. I like people. I like selling stuff. And, you know, when you when you start getting passionate about a product, it's easy to get excited to go talk to people about it. I'm going to stop you right there because you keep saying it's fun and it's easy. It's fun and it's easy. Sales is not easy. And sales can be anything but fun because you eat what you kill to an extent. Yep. Talk to me a, a little bit more about what it means to really understand 
that two ears, one mouth ratio to really understand that it's so much so solving a problem as it is creating a relationship with someone. What goes into being a, a true sales professional, not just a salesperson? You kind of hit it on the head. You mentioned relationships. So I think the way that you are able to build relationships with individuals is through establishing trust. If somebody's asking for a light fixture and I'm trying to pitch something that is not at all what they're looking for, then I'm really not establishing any level of trust with them whatsoever. It's like, I'll use the car analogy again. You go into a car dealership, you're looking for a truck and somebody's trying to sell you a Pinto. You know, there's, there's specific reasons you're looking for a truck, right? You need the bed space. You're going to you know, haul piles of gravel and things along those lines, right? The Pinto is not going to do it for you. So. Yeah. So if you're in lighting and you walk in the door and you're trying to sell somebody a pin spot downlight versus a thousand watt floodlight to light up the side of the building, yeah. you got to have some sort of a, a baseline there. You can obviously approach people and you can talk to them about your products in a, in a truthful and honest way. But what does it mean to really to create that trust with not only an individual peer-to-peer -peer level, but take that mentality and structure it to a business so that an entire industry sees you as trustworthy? That's something that's extremely hard to, I think, go out and execute. So to me, that really is driven from the top down of the organization. You have to have that instilled as far as your culture is concerned. And I'm an individual. I lead our sales team at New Light. We have, you know, Dan, Andy, we have people that, that are part of our sales team externally. We have people that are part of our internal team that are project managers that work with inside sales that do coordination and things like that. And you have 60 agents, 70 agents yeah. that are essentially an extension of that sales process as well. Exactly. So being able to have that cultural mentality, that herd mentality throughout all of those people within all of those different positions is something that I think again, just helps instill that trust, but you have to execute. I mean, that's the, the biggest thing that you can do by being able to build trust is, again, you listen to see what that challenge or problem or, I don't like to use the word problem, challenge, right? Everything that we do has some form of challenge to it. You create a solution to what that challenge is, and then you execute on creating that solution for that challenge. So, those to me are kind of the, the real stepping stones is, is that you need to understand, you need to execute, and then you breed that culture, you know, organically with everybody that you're interfacing with as far as your organization is concerned. And then that to me translates into a, a level of trust that that can be expressed from, you know, our customers. Mm -hmm. And that's something I think that is difficult to accomplish all of those different steps. And if you can, I think that you're probably a little bit ahead of where the next person is as far as what that sales function looks like. When you sit there, you talk about what it means to execute something, execute from the top down, from the top of the organization, through the salespeople, all the way out to the sales team, the field agents, and then ultimately engaging that end customer, whether it's the designer or the occupant in the space. You're talking about executing in terms of manufacturing a product. You're talking about creating a light fixture that's going to go in a space. Pull back the curtain a little bit for all of us. What goes in to being able to execute? Because you've got to have their trust. I would say that, so from a manufacturing standpoint on the execution side of things, it's having a well-connected team 
that communicates effectively. It's having processes that have been kind of honed and fine-tuned over a long period of time. There's hiccups that are experienced when you look at new things, right? It could be new products. It could be a new company, right? There's different things that are associated with the test of time, being able to really kind of understand what and learn from, you know, your past experiences. So this didn't work the last time we tried it. We're doing things differently this way and then holding people accountable. I mean, I think there's this culture within business as a whole where everybody is afraid of conflict. And there's a, such thing as constructive conflict. It happens all the time. People are passionate about something. They stand up for something that they believe in. And ultimately, it's to service the customer. And again, there's, there's many downstream customers that we have from a manufacturer's perspective that we look at. You know, you mentioned agents. There are partners. They're also our customers, right? And then you continue down the path of who those other individuals are. But for us, it comes down to how are we able to get better on a daily basis? And that comes from constructive conflict. When we were joking around earlier, it's calling a spade a spade. Yeah. Right. If there's something that we're doing wrong, we need to improve upon what that is. If we're able to do something really, really well, how do we leverage that? So to me, there's lots of different things, I think, that ultimately end up being able to execute on things, to continue to execute on them. And it's through execution, accountability, and a trust that you have in the people that you work with in order to do what they do, because that's why they're there. That's why you hired them. They're there to do their job. And if they're doing it well, then we're executing on a high level. When you look at your company, and LED technology, and luminaires, and holding people accountable to do their jobs across the board. What is the biggest challenge that you have as, I'm gonna put it in quotes, Mm -hmm. because it's so much more than this, a sales individual? We'll start with kind of developing product, right? I think that when we look at providing a solution to somebody, it's hard to identify specifically. You might be able to understand and apply a solution to an individual's need. But to try to do that on a broad scale is something that's really, really, really challenging. And when we look at kind of the product mix and things like that that we have, I mean, we engage a ton of different people when we're looking at creating a a new product offering or even adding to existing products that we have. It could be features, it could be benefits, it could be things along those lines. It is something that is really, really hard to hone in on. I would say, that when we have really, really talented individuals from a quote-unquote sales perspective, their first and foremost job is to, like I said, kind of understand those challenges. It is really hard and difficult to, I think, translate that to the organization on what truly, truly needs to be done in order to, to be a successful company. Products, I think, kind of bob and weave and grow or or decline based on what the particular market needs are at at any given time. When you have a winner, it's something that is stylized. It's really, it's got some panache to it, right? It does exactly what it has to do from a performance standpoint. And when you have a winner, you're not selling the winner. The winner's selling itself. Yeah. And I think that's what's interesting, right? Sales isn't necessarily convincing somebody that they need something. Sales is more understanding the market and creating an opportunity out of the need. That's well phrased. It is because I think, again, 
you just mentioned it's understanding the need how do you get to that point of what the exact need is and the way that we do that is engaging more and more people we need we need connectivity right there's a glue that holds all of these different puzzle pieces together right whether it's myself a manufacturer the agent a designer you know, all the way down to the person that's installing the fixtures. And who are you going to call when anything goes wrong? Right. Not Ghostbusters. <laughs> no. You're calling the sales guy. Yeah. And it, that's what's so interesting to me. I mean, sales isn't just the guy who sells you something. Sales mm-hmm. is the guy who takes care of your problems. Sales is the guy or gal who not only picks up the tab at dinner, but is also answering their phone at 6 a.m. the next morning to help you solve your problems. Because sales is a dynamic role and position that requires, as you mentioned, so many might I say, you know, spokes coming out of them. You're the hub, you bring everything back together, you're the glue. There's an interesting conversation behind that, right? Talk to me a little bit about what it means to have to sit there and go out and demonstrate products and then turn around and come back to your team and get down to the nitty gritty. One of the biggest things I think that I truly kind of miss in this new world that we're in is direct feedback. We look at WebExes, Zoom calls, whatever, however you want to refer to them. They're very one-sided nowadays. And that's an unfortunate, I think, result of, of where we are. By being able to be in front of people, they're much more willing to give you feedback, what they like, what they don't like. And then being able to, number one, remember, because <laughs> there's so many times where you're you're trying to run from one call to the next and, and uh, you know, jot your notes down in, in whichever form or fashion you decide to do so. But being able to, to take that feedback and then bring it back to the team, there's a lot of organizations and, and people that are very, very receptive to, again, constructive feedback. And I'll, I'll refer that back to constructive conflict because if it is something that is negative, then that's a potential knock on something that somebody designed. That's something somebody came up with, right, in their in their think tank. And being able to, to say, okay, guys, I've talked to enough people that this is something that we really need to consider, we need to look at, we either need to modify, create, or, you know, walk back. To do that and have a people that you can trust within your own organization to, you know, kind of not necessarily, but they can filter out some of the, the salesy aspects of it, but me as a salesperson, I have a lot of conviction. I've got a lot of years on the street. I got a lot of miles on my shoes. And, you know, I've got a lot of decibels in my ears from people's feedback. And if the individuals that you're working with, as far as product is concerned, can't take your word for, you know, what is is happening in the market, there's always going to be a challenge. I think it's really, really important for those individuals to recognize, you know, what's being delivered from a sales team. They're not just, you know, get to your point, you know, buying dinners and, you know, playing the next 18 rounds of golf. They're in front of customers every day. And again, not necessarily just pitching and grinning, but also using their two ears and, and listening to what the, the feedback is on those particular products, those feature sets. And somebody just needs to, to be able to effectively communicate what that is to a marketing team, to a design team. Sales embodies so much, right? There's two sides to every story, so to speak. There's 
four sides to sales. There's the side of the individual, there's the side of representing your brand or your company, there's the side of creating those relationships, and there's also a side of what people may just perceive as, you know, whining and dining and entertaining. I tell you what, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll dive into that whole thing of sales. What's changed in the last year? What you've enjoyed about it and what you missed. Sound good? Yep. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick, this podcast is sponsored by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. Check them out at lytei.com. And welcome back. Over the break, Steve and I were chatting just a little bit more about how sales really is this multifaceted role. And one of the most critical parts of it is being able to get in front of the customer, not necessarily to wine and dine them, but to learn and interact and get that direct, honest feedback. So that as a a sales individual and a professional, you can go back to your company and help them make the right decisions moving forward. Steve, it's 2021. It's February. I'm sure March will be here tomorrow. I don't know where time goes anymore. What has it been like to take that big role of a sales professional and pivot and adapt in the last 12 months? It's been challenging to say the least. I think that we all, as we kind of, we were put on pause, right? As far as our our sales functions, traveling, getting in front of individuals, we thought it was temporary. We kept getting notices from the government, CDC, things along those lines where, hey, just wait a couple more months, we'll be there. Well, you know, halfway through 2020, it was clear that that, that was not going to, to be the case. And so then we would have to essentially, to use your words, pivot and pivot quickly and fast. And, you know, and sometimes it felt like you were doing that with, without a rudder. You know, we weren't sure what the proper sales role was. We weren't sure if, you know, doing PowerPoints on, on Zoom calls and things like that were going to be received well. I think that the overall marketplace was just flooded with that. And I think it still is. I mean, you know, I look at our sales reps, agents, calendars, and you can go on any other websites. You can see what their calendars look like, and they're they're plugged up every day, multiple times a day from different manufacturers and things like that. And I think when I looked at how things kind of, again, used to be, you'd go into a territory and you'd be the only manufacturer there. Now you have this competition of trying to be the loudest, if you will, manufacturer that's out there as far as your product content is concerned at at any given time because that's what you're competing with. And so it's been very challenging to figure out ways to differentiate your content. It's been difficult to understand, I think, how you time what those presentations are, so on and so forth. It's just, it's been challenging to say the least. That's obviously one of those four parts of a sales box, so to speak. That's the getting in front of the customer to tell them who you are and what you do. But a big part, as we just kind of broke down, of your role is getting in front of them to listen and get feedback. How have you managed through that? For us, I think there's a couple different things, right? There's the direct access aspect, pardon me, of being able to to get that feedback and in front of individuals and customers then there's the kind of i'll call it the extended aspect of that 
being through our reps. And I've learned throughout this process that as a manufacturer, you know, there's 100% value in the model that we have today, which is we have reps, they're in their respective territories, and they know their customers and much on a broader scale, a lot closer than we do as a manufacturer. So being able to really, I don't want to say leverage that partnership, but it is that, but it's also... It's, tr- I mean, it's trusting the ability to execute, like you said earlier. Yep, absolutely. And I think for us, you really understand who your partners are throughout this process. And it's a lot easier to work with them. It's a challenge to be able to be relevant with kind of your non-partners. That may sound blunt, but at the same time, I mean, there's, there's a lot of lines that, that agents have. It's, it's hard to be close to every single individual in every single territory. You look at agents, right? They've got line cards that are anywhere from 50 manufacturers to 250 manufacturers. Yep. The guys who have 250 lines on a line card, that's one working day a year yeah. to focus on you. I right. mean, it's really, really tough. And to your point, it's just been challenging. When you look at how it's kicked you in the pants a little bit and you guys have maybe relied on that old school opportunity in the open door policy and that ability to uh, engage and, and have that trust in order to execute on what it is you need to do, which is not only listen to your customer, but also go out and let them know what you've created to solve the problems. Where did you see the light when you knew, I've got to really actually start to figure out how to do something different? And what was the first part of success you had when you did that? Yeah, I'd probably put it in June time period, right right as summer started kind of rearing its head. It was, this isn't going away. We need to pivot and, and make some drastic changes into what we're doing. And I think it, we were slow on the uptake. There was a lot of, I think, education that we needed to absorb a lot of information that we needed to absorb in order to be better, you know, at what we're what we were doing at the time, which again was just you know kind of scheduling WebExes and doing product presentations, and really trying to look at not necessarily how the marketplace is as far as lighting is concerned, but just how the the consumer marketplace is and and how information is really really fed to them, and that's. That to me is kind of like the the aha moment, and you know I have conversations with our owner quite often about this new kind of model. It's evolved. I don't think it's ever going back to the way that it is. So it is something where we've really, really I think honed in on being relevant, pointed. There's a lot of I think fluff that's still incorporated into you know a, a sales function, whether they're recorded videos, whether it's live demos, whether it's things along those lines. Like I said earlier, I mean, people are are flooded with information right now. And if it's not pointed, if it's not concise, I think people lose interest. You brought up something before you even said pointed concise and they lose interest, which is you've got to look at how people absorb things. Lighting is a B2B business. Essentially, everybody works for somebody on behalf of someone else's money in this entire industry. The guy that writes the checks is never in a single design meeting or a selection meeting, which is crazy. 
but it works and anybody that's listening to this podcast knows why it works and why it works really well and why there's a whole group of professionals built around doing that at the end of the day we're all just people though and you and a b2b business have to go b2c and you have to connect with the customer at a personal level your competition isn't the other linear lighting manufacturers out there your competition isn't anybody in this industry your competition is nike apple adidas puma sephora you know pick any big brand out there that is directly marketing to consumers for the sake of getting them to procure something that's your competition now how do you guys feel about that and i mean you mentioned you understand you have to be short pointed concise I mean, Steve, that's obvious, right? Nobody has time in the day. What are you guys doing to figure out how to directly connect with your customer and tell them who you are, that you care about them? And by the way, we're here and we want to listen too. That last part, I think, is the biggest challenge. I think it's, for us, we've, I think, done a really, really good job at being able to still be engaged with our customer base. And again, that's extended from the manufacturer from down to the rep and then past that through a number of different platforms, right? I mean, everybody's on social media. You you mentioned all of those other companies that have amazing, I think, pushes and presence as far as what you see on your devices, not just your phone, right? We're all in front of computers now. We're surfing websites. There's pointed ads that are on there based on, you know, search history and, and everything else along those lines. But we're able to, I think, really hone in good messaging, good content. And it took us quite a while, I feel like, to, to be able to kind of hone in on what that looks like. And when you look at the analytics aspect of it, that's something that really kind of took us a, a little while to, to, get, to get dialed in on. It is. I mean, so much of sales and, and the human-to-human interaction is like, hey, it feels good. I know them. Let's get out there. Let's high-five. You know, let's jot down some notes. You just brought up a word, analytics. There's got to be data behind that. What's that been like to pivot into that digital world and realize that this human-to-human relationship has created a whole data pool behind it that almost reinforces what you already knew? I'd say that, number one, it, it reinforces that I'm older than I think I am. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, we're actually, we're still evolving too. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at actually trying to bring individuals on to do that for us because, uh, you know, I was somewhat joking, but I'm not the clear analytic kind of guy that, that's going to be able to sift through all of this data. We need to have somebody that their sole purpose in life. I think we're decent at creating content. I don't think we're terrific. I'd say that we're probably, you know, better than most. But at the same time, what, you know, what's a winner? <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to tell if you're not looking actually at what that data is on, on information that's being presented. And I think we do, we, we do really good web content and things along those lines. Our, our virtual presentations, I think, are well attended. They're engaging, right? So we talk about listening and being able to, to do things along those lines. One of the things that I prefer to do if I'm hosting something and it's through one of our sales reps I don't mute anybody and that backfires at times. But the whole thing is, is that I want, I want engagement. I want feedback. I crave feedback because of exactly what we talked about before. And we're all grown ups. We all have capability of being able to hit the mute button or, or not hit the mute button. And 
I mean, nine times out of 10, it's a, it's a much more fulfilling experience, both from my perspective, I think, as well as our customers. And then when we talk about, again, kind of digital content and things along those lines, if we're getting hits and views and things along those lines, it's easy to say, yeah, that one's, that one's good. But I think the challenge that we're still really trying to have is, is how effective is it? Mm-hmm. And that's really, that's, we talked about aha moments before. Like, yeah, we're good at, at, at doing content. We're good at getting hits. You know, how do we get, you know, usage out of that? And maybe that's a bad word as far as usage is concerned. No, I but think, I think what, what you're bringing up is in a traditional sales role, you'd have the opportunity to maybe engage, listen, everything in the room, and you could read somebody's body language. And you utilize that body language as a mechanism of feedback that's gone with the digital world. Because as you said at the very beginning, you're just out there, you know, screaming, crying, and preaching to a camera, and there's nobody else coming back to you. It's a one-way street. You've got to create that two-way street. Obviously, data can help you figure out where to go try and create that two-way street. Then yep. there's nothing wrong with that because you're not wasting your time and you're not wasting anyone else's time. When it comes to the two-way street, I got to think that's probably what you miss the most. 100%. It absolutely is. We're conversing. I'm having a great time in here. I miss this. <laughs> I really do. I miss you, Steve. I miss Yeah. I mean, it is... Uh, See you in six months. Yeah, no. right? It is... Uh, Again, I mean, there's so much value that I, I felt that was created in, in those interactions. You talked about body language. You talked about responsiveness to products and things along those lines. There's nothing better when you're in somebody's office, you've listened to what their challenges are, you've proposed a solution, and they're all about it. They love the solution. There's the, It's that sales high, right? It's yeah. We talked about like why I kind of wanted to get into sales and it's it's because of that. The one thing I got to bring up is it's a sales high, right? People love it. People who enjoy sales and interacting totally get a high off that, right? You, you literally get a kick of dopamine in your body. It makes you more attentive. It makes you more effective and you become even better at your job. But that all takes time. The digital world affords you so many more opportunities to be so many places simultaneously. I've got to think that as much as you miss that, that as much as that's been hard to swallow, this new digital era has shown you a way to become more effective and find new opportunities. Talk to me a little bit about what showed up on your doorstep that you didn't expect, but you're a little happy about. I'd say that through this evolution, it's different. I don't need to pack my bag up on Sunday evening and take a really, really early flight out on a Monday morning and get in front of people. We've been able to touch more people through this evolution than we have before this evolution. And I think we're doing it more effectively. I think that we look at efficiency, we look at costs that are associated with things along those lines. We're more efficient, we're more nimble. I'd say that we we actually, I think, accomplish more from feedback sessions, you know, listening and, and having engagement from our customers not just from one particular territory that Steve or Sam or name a salesperson are in at any given week, right? Because that's typically how it used to be. I mean, we're touching people all over the country in a day. Right? I mean, in, in so many ways, 
what used to be I have your attention when I'm here has gone away and has not only encouraged but provided the opportunity for everybody to, like you said, bounce around and engage digitally and provide feedback nonstop. Yeah. And obviously as a manufacturer, that's awesome for you guys. But I've got to think that you've seen that on designers' faces and your agents' faces as well. Yeah, everybody's drained, but people realize that this can afford an opportunity to be more effective and efficient with their time, which means ultimately, hey, you're getting the same amount of work done in fewer amount of hours. Driving to the airport and being on planes, sometimes they have Wi-Fi, sometimes they don't. I mean, the amount of productivity I think that we're able to accomplish now in comparison, simply because of things like that, it's huge. It's a huge gain. And again, I, I know that there's a there's a, probably a lot of people that are going to listen to this and and think that yeah, but you, you just you can't portray the same thing digitally as you can in person. Or you work too much because you're just digitally all the time. Or now I'm flooded with digital content. Yeah. yeah what, what do you say to that? Then that content's being created incorrectly because when you're able to put together a good plan you're able to execute it the way that you want it to be executed and that means that all the pertinent information is given effectively right and there's lots of different ways that people go out and and create what that looks like if people are saying that that is that's not the same and it's not as effective then it's incorrect content It's important to create engaging content. It's important to tell a story the way it needs to be told. My last question, I promise. It's 2021. Things aren't going back to normal. You have learned so much. You have figured out a way for your company to transform and pivot. There's a big conversation around content. There's a big conversation around connecting with people. Going forward, do you think this will kick off a new way of doing business and a new way of recognizing our industry and give it everyone an opportunity to succeed at a new level. I think it will. And the reason I say that is, is because evolution is inevitable. It's like death and taxes. I think that when we see kind of the rewards of what has been accomplished up to this point, that's with everybody scrambling around and, and running around like chickens with their heads cut off trying to figure out what this new model looks like. Now that we have time underneath our belts and we've kind of walked down this road, I only see it getting better, more honed in, more dialed in, and more effective. So I think that there's going to be further evolution, further success on kind of what this model looks like. Again, I mean, I think the way that you you win customers is is through how we started the conversation off, and and that's through trust. If we look at the way that sales was, and we look at the way that content and the sales function is being performed now, then our marketing departments are doing, I think, a lot more to aid in the sales process. They're not just building collateral and brochures and putting pretty pictures up on the website. There is content that is being created that is that is creating the sales function uh, and delivering that out on a much, much broader scale than, than what we've ever seen in the past. It's easy. It's no longer a light fixture. It's a brand. 
and you've got to tell that story from start to finish virtually. Steve, this has been an amazing conversation. I really appreciate you letting me totally grill you on what it means to be a sales professional. It was, uh, I, I welcome it. It was, it, was, it was a great conversation. It was a lot of fun. I'm going to give you a chance that nobody else has gotten as a sales professional because you're the first one on the light pod, and I appreciate you, you know, being vulnerable and, and sharing what maybe you would call a trade secret, but you're executing and you're proud of it. How can people give you feedback? What's the best way? to get in touch with Steve. Yeah, so there's multiple avenues. Uh, Again, through this evolution, I've upped my game as far as my social media presence is concerned. Oh wait, you got a social handle? (laughs) Can I slide into those DMs, Steve? (laughs) You may, you may. All right, so Instagram? Instagram, Steve underscore Newlight. Steve underscore new light. LinkedIn. Yep. Where do we find you on LinkedIn? Is yep. that, is your real name on LinkedIn? It is. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, we also have the company page. It's there as well. So either either form, I'm, I'm on both of them. You got email still? Nicola at newlight-lighting.com. And uh, what about TikTok? You on TikTok yet? I'm not on TikTok, not on TikTok yet. TikTok. I told you I'm, I'm older uh, than I think I am. If, uh, if you're still listening to this podcast somebody is on tiktok and he looks exactly like steve and he's a really really good dancer you know it's funny i'm a good dancer too (laughs) you are a good dancer steve if you hit me up i'll send you the tiktok i sent steve he's got a he's got a twin steve thanks so much uh talk to you soon yeah it's a pleasure thanks for having me on good luck in 2021 thank you Hey, it's Sam. If you enjoyed this podcast, do me a favor and go back to the app that you were listening to it on and click that like, follow, or subscribe button. It's the best way to never miss an episode of The Light Pod, where we interview people that talk about things all encompassing lighting, people who are passionate, people who are motivated, and people who want to tell their story to help you get a better sense of how we can all light up the world together. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.